I want to introduce our storyteller for the uh, day. And I want to just say a word in case you don't know who she is because you are um, relatively new to our church. Uh, this church started and they've had a few uh, sort of fits and starts is what I called it. Uh, and then along came this young man from the Midwest named Bud Palmberg. And along with him came his lovely bride, Donna Palmberg, who's our storyteller for the day. And to know Bud and to appreciate Bud is to know and love Donna. She has really um, allowed Bud to be the specialist and the presence that he is uh, during the course of his ministry. And I have really appreciated all the value that Donna adds to our church. And her energy level is out of this world. So Donna, come on up and give some to us. Actually, I was a little nervous because he usually teases me so much I thought he was going to really say something to embarrass me. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. That was nice. Um, I had this picture put up first because so many of you are new, and this is where we worshipped, in Hanson Hall, up the stairs, and there was no hallway, and those colored glass on the left side were facing 80th. And this seated about 110 people, and we were here in that worshiping there until um, 1974 when we built this sanctuary, this beautiful sanctuary. So I thought I'd give you a little, so many new people, I wanted to give you a little background. Okay. I am a sinner, always fighting with pride, pride in accomplishments, mine, my own, my husband's, and my family's but confident that through my confession I have been saved by the undeserved grace of God, and I live with gratitude. Last Sunday morning, my husband preached at Covenant Shores worship service and began his sermon with Psalm 1914. It reminded me to begin each morning with this prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then watch what God winks and opportunities to bless others through my day. Today I'm sharing God winks, surprises, unexpected blessings that have come my way. I was surprised last Sunday when Scott Kuhn also referred to God winks in his life. In the spring of 2013, while Bud and I were returning from a Panama rainforest tour, we entered the USA via Houston. That airport is huge, and only five of the 10 customs desks were open. We were bound to miss our connection to Seattle. Finally, we jumped on a motorized cart and arrived at our gate just in time. We were, we were waiting behind a young woman and her two little sons. After small talk with the children, I asked if they were visiting Seattle or returning home. They lived in Mexico City and would be visiting her mother in the Metal Valley. Surprised, I shared that our son had just been hired weeks before to be the lead pastor of the Covenant Church over there in Twisp. She exclaimed, my mother was the chairperson of that search committee. She wants me to help purge my late grandparents' mobile home. Evidently, that's where your son and his wife will be temporarily living. 
Bud and I were shocked, realizing she could have been already seated and we would never have met. Arriving at baggage claim, we met Jane, her mother, and um, we met Janie, her mother. Meeting in Houston after coming from Panama City and Mexico City, we like to refer to this as a God wink. In the fall of 2017, I was headed to Issaquah for an appointment, and I wanted to take our old printer to the Salvation Army pickup place. I don't own an iPhone, and I became lost, so I pulled up in front of La Petite Belle Nail Spa on Front Street and stuck my head in the door, asking if someone could help me. The owner answered that it would be hard to explain, but if I didn't mind, she would ride along and show me where to go. I was very surprised that she would do this. She was Anne Wen, and I told her as we drove that this is what I call a God wink for me. Her response was that she has those regularly too. As we visited, her story became more and more clear that this God wink was a shower of blessing. Anne shared that she was a throwaway Amerasian baby and that when she was in a basket while riding in a horse-drawn cart over a bridge in Saigon, a wheel fell off the bridge and her basket fell into the river. A fisherman quickly fished the basket out, finding a baby girl still in it. He took her to his sister to care for her, after which Anne was eventually taken to a Catholic orphanage. There she was well cared for, taught about Jesus' love for her, and she spent weekends with the fisherman's sister and her family until she was nine years old. But one day, when she was with the family, there was a bombing, and their house was hit. The father and son were killed, and Anne, badly injured, spent a few months in the hospital. Soon after, a family in Princeton, Illinois, who had been sending support money for her at the orphanage, made arrangements for her to move to the USA and live with them. She expressed to me how God has taken care of her in so many ways through the years. She takes a break at her spa every afternoon for an hour to meditate and pray. As I was hearing this, I was so blessed and amazed to realize that the first church that Bud pastored upon graduating from North Park Seminary was Kiwani, Illinois, just 30 minutes from Princeton, where she grew up. Last January, I interviewed her at Covenant Shores. She shared more details of how she loves Jesus and how he has been her protector through the years. Well, another God wink. Two months ago, we received a surprise email during the summer months of 2003 and 2005, Bud was the VIM, or the VIM, the Volunteer in Ministry, for the English congregation of the International Christian Church in Bali, Indonesia. The congregation was now in need of another VIM for three months in the spring. Could we help them find someone? Could we help again? After praying and discussing the ramifications, our first God wink came when our friends eagerly agreed to care for our dog. So we chatted by phone and committed to go there for April, May, and June of 2019. The God, weeks, God winks continued. 
Within two hours the same evening, we found a modest one-bedroom apartment to rent that is only blocks from the church. But something happened three weeks ago. After half of the rent was paid and the flight arrangements were already made, our dog sitter's husband had a stroke and she can't take care of Lena. But God winked at us again. Visiting a new couple, as I always do, at Covenant Shores, they asked me about this trip to Bali that they heard about. Before I left, they surprised me by offering to keep Lena for May and June. I'm still praising the Lord. A week later, another lady telephoned to offer to care for her during April. Through all our years, we have had the proof that walking with the Lord offers surprises around every corner. These have been just a few of my many God winks. I hope they've encouraged you to notice your God winks. Thank you for listening to my story. Now, I must say that reading my story was a lot easier than this is going to be, reading this scripture. Good morning, my name is Donna Palmberg. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Judges. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading selected verses from chapter 4 in the New International Version. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of, of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abibanim, and from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasas Hagiam, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin king of Hazer and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. 
If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Donna, for your story and also for reading that scripture. Who needs the Kardashians, right? So, the storytelling is one of my favorite aspects of our Sunday morning worship. And if you have a story to tell and want to share it, we would love to hear from you. I distinctly remember my first day of seminary. I was in New Testament 1 with Professor Klein Snodgrass. He, yeah, that's a great name, huh? Uh, he had a reputation of assigning a lot of reading and expecting a lot of his students. I entered the class and already felt like I would fail. Then, in the course of about five minutes, Professor Snodgrass used ten words I had never heard before repeatedly. I knew I was doomed at this point. One of those words he used was hermeneutic. How many of you are familiar with this word, hermeneutic? All right, we've got some seminarians amongst us, right? Good. Uh, a hermeneutic basically means the way in which you interpret the Bible, the lens in which we understand and read Scripture. We all have our own hermeneutic, very personal to ourselves. Mine would be female, mid-30s, American, married with children. And that's a simplistic way to state it, but it would also include my life experiences, my understanding of how things work, my education, and so on and so forth. You see someone from a different country, different gender, age, socioeconomic class than I would hear and understand scripture in a whole new light than I would. This was one of the biggest things my professor stressed that first day of class. We need to understand first our own bias, as we enter into the scripture, we need to step back and think of a different point of view and perspective. And remember that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. This was another one of his famous sayings. We have to remember the time and place in which the word was given. What was happening and what is the significance? Our scripture passage this morning, depending on your hermeneutic, you will hear and experience it in a different way. As we enter into this story, may we all be aware of our own hermeneutic and be open to a varied perspective and a new point of view. Judges 4 begins with, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and tells us about the Israelites being handed over to their enemies. We hear them cry out to the Lord to help them and in verse 4, we discover that God has heard their cries and sends to them a female judge, Deborah. Now, all of our hermeneutics are at work at this point in the story. The text seems to casually mention Deborah as if it is no big deal that a woman is the leader of the Israelite people. And Deborah was like no other judges. She had a much more impressive resume. Deborah is the only judge to also be referred to as a prophet. And she is actually the only judge in the entire book of Judges that we see judging people. 
She clearly is the leader of the Israelite military, and we see people heed her word, male and female. This is happening in a day and age where women were lowly regarded in society. They were basically property of either their father or their husband and held no status in the public sphere. And yet we have Deborah taking up the mantle as the prophet of God and instructing the people as to what they should do. In her exchange with Barak, the leader of the Israelite military, we see his faith in Deborah and her leadership. The passage says, she sent for Barak and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun and lead to the Mount of Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and his troops to Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak's response to her is, if you go, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. Here, Barak is showing his fear to go into battle without Deborah. But Deborah's retort to him reminds us that males and females were not seen as equals during this time. She tells Barak, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Clearly an insult. Later on in Judges 9, we see this same low regard for women with Ambimelech, the son of Gideon, who has a millstone dropped on his head by a woman and is about to die. He calls out to his servant and says, draw your sword and kill me, so they can't say, a woman killed him. As our scripture passage goes on this morning, we hear of Jael, a Kenite woman, the enemy, as the, the enemy of the Israelite people and an ally to the Canaanites. It is she who kills the military leader of the Canaanite people, Sisera. No Israelite at the time would have believed that an enemy of theirs would aid them in battle and destroy one of the most powerful men in the land. And they most certainly would not have believed it to be a woman. As I thought about this sermon this week, and I thought about Pastor Peter's theme of imperfect throughout the book of Judges, I was struck by how our narratives of ourselves and others are often imperfect. How we view certain types of people and ourselves. The lies we let linger within us that shape how we behave and engage with others. These imperfect narratives disrupt and distort God's perfect narrative that he has for our world. I think of my own story, and I know I've shared this before in a sermon. I was a rather plump child and adolescent. I was mercilessly teased by my older brothers and classmates. This distorted the way that I viewed myself. I didn't think I was worthy of other people's attention or friendship. I felt I had to be extra funny and kind in order to make up for what I believed was an ugly outward appearance. Even though I lost weight when I got into high school and was active in taking care of myself, this did not seem to leave me. I figured no one would ever want to date me, let alone marry me. 
And it seemed that the life of being a wife and a mother that felt like a good fit on my interior would not happen because of how I looked on the exterior. And I wish it was poof. I told myself to stop thinking like that, and I stopped. But the truth is, these lies still linger today. I never enjoyed my pregnancies because of what it did to my body. I couldn't accept that it was a person growing inside of me that was making me bigger. And it didn't help when seemingly innocent people would comment on my size. That fear that I was no longer going to be accepted, that people would start teasing me, and my exterior would outweigh my interior, crept back in. We cannot will ourselves out of these false narratives, but we can be aware of them, and we can start telling ourselves a different narrative. Perhaps this means a night a week we turn off the TV and we enter into the word to hear and receive a message of truth. Or setting aside social media for an hour and having an honest, meaningful conversation with a friend about our struggles and our fears. We need to surround ourselves with people who give us truth. We need to surround ourselves with people whose narrative is that in Christ you can do all things. In the covenant denomination, we believe that men and women are created equal. Thus, women can hold any position in the church and be ordained within our denomination, as am I. An older professor of mine in seminary once said he felt like the church needed to confess to women publicly for the sin of telling them for generation to generation that they did not have a voice in preaching and teaching the good news of Christ, when it was Christ himself who gave this good news first to women. It is the stories of Deborah and Jael and many other named and unnamed women in scriptures that led scholars to believe that women were a part of the story of God and a vital part of ministry. The Bible's narrative told a different story. It seemed that whenever society was trying to diminish women, God was elevating them and using them as agents to advance God's kingdom and usher in the reign of Christ. This is what our perfect God does. God picks out the lowly and downtrodden, the casts off of society, and uses them. Christ picked the sinners and the unwanted to be his followers. Throughout history, God wove into fabric of God's perfect story imperfect people to showcase God's goodness and glory. I once heard a congregant refer to God as the hound of heaven, coming after people and seeking out the lost. I like to think of myself as the cheetah of children's ministry, coming after them and seeking them to be volunteers. In this role, I am frequently rejected. The most common response is, I don't think I'm qualified to do that. Unbeknownst to them, this is probably the ideal response. The somewhat hokey but true phrase, God does not call the equipped, but equips the called, is something I have clung to and seen time and time again in ministry. The world's imperfect narrative is that you have to be good enough 
in order to say yes. But by this standard, to say yes to God, you would have to be without sin, know the Bible by heart, and basically rival Christ for the right-hand position of God. But that's not God's perfect narrative. God used an elderly, barren woman, an older man, to be the ones whose descendants were as numerous as the stars in the sky with Abraham and Sarah. God chose a stuttering murderer to be one of the most profound prophets with Moses. He raised up two women, Deborah and Jael, to lead a military effort and kill the general of one of the most powerful armies. It is this God who was born as a baby into a no-name family and died a criminal's death to show us our idea of perfect is skewed. Our understanding of our own self-worth is distorted. We don't need to be male to be hero. We don't need to be fat, thin, white, black, or brown to be worthy of God's love and affection. God could care less how much money we have in our bank account or what kind of car we drive. God isn't looking at a polished resume, but God is looking at the heart. God is seeking out the willing and is willing to work with whatever we have to offer. Imagine if Deborah or Jael came back to God and said, oh, sorry, I'm a woman, I can't do that. They said yes because they knew God was bigger than their societal story had made them feel. If God can make a donkey to talk, God can most certainly teach you how to be a small group leader, engage with youth, or serve on a local mission team. You just have to be willing to let the hound of heaven take over your life. You have to let a new narrative direct your story and release the imperfect narrative that has dictated for far too long. Surrender yourself to the almighty God and be prepared to see what he will do with an imperfect being. Let us pray. All gracious and mighty God, we pray that this day you become big and you remind us that you have created us in your image, that you have created us to be your sons and daughters. And God, your desire is to work in and through us to showcase to this world your love and your redemptive story for this place. I pray, almighty God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us release the bondage of the imperfect narrative we have clung to, of the lies that we have told ourselves and to others. May your truth reign this day. God, open our eyes to see the ways in which you have created us to be used by you, to be powerful instruments of advancing your kingdom here on this earth and letting peace reign again. Almighty God, all glory for you now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.